Welcome to Tracklisting, the podcast where a musician, a comedian, and a painter review old soundtracks for some reason. This is Nick. This is Chris. And this is Caleb. And this week we have a brand new pick from Chris. That's right. I picked the uh, 2000 cult classic? Not really. It's a popular movie that had cult fame. American Psycho! All right. Thank you, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, this one, um, you know, uh, I guess warning up front, uh, there's a lot of graphic uh, tones and themes in this movie. It's about a a hedge fund murderer. It's kind of a dark film. Uh, It it says it's right on the cover of the soundtrack, music from the controversial motion picture. Yeah. In the title. In the title. It's right there. Yeah, it's a... I mean, it, it's a genre film. I, I didn't really uh, think of it as being all that controversial, but uh, we'll get into it, I guess. We'll see if the soundtrack is controversial as well. I think That's it might point. be. <laughs> I think it might be. I think it might be. Uh, this is a film I'm pretty familiar with. I never own the soundtrack, or I don't think I listened to... I mean, music is very prominent in the film, but I don't yes. think I listened to the actual soundtrack until preparation for this episode. Uh, yeah, I never owned the soundtrack myself. I did own the movie. Um, I was a fan of the movie as a kid, um, as a young boy. Who wasn't? As a very little boy, I enjoyed the film, uh, thinking it was like deep. Um, I can't tell if it was, you know, we, um, I watched something that was um, deep or dumb, <laughs> uh, American Psycho. So stay tuned to find out. You guys want to jump into track one? Let's Please. do it. This is Dope with You Spin Me Round Like a Record. Oh boy. Let me tell you a story about a new metal band whose biggest hit was a cover of a new wave classic. Industrial metal, my goodness. Let me tell you another story about a band named Dope. It's a tale as old as time. I didn't own an album by Dope, but there was a band uh, around the same time that released uh, a cover of uh, Blue Monday. You guys remember that cover? Orgy. Orgy. I own that Orgy yeah. album. Yeah. And uh, and I also remember a band that did a cover of Faith. Limp Biscuit. yeah. It kind of yeah, got me yeah. like daydreaming about bands that... <laughs> Could have done covers from the 80s, like if Corn uh, had ever done their version of like Take On Me or uh, <laughs> Eye of the Tiger by Creed. Mm. Uh, Both he? of those work in my head. Corn did a cover of a, uh, I can't remember what they, it was. They but... have a lowrider cover. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funnier. That's, yeah. It's not bad. They, had this, they wore the same shorts as like, uh, as war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> chinos or something um okay so i think i'm on the record as being very anti-new metal yeah for for new listeners that's nu tell me about dope dope (laughs) um apparently they got their name because before they got their record deal they made most of their money selling heroin on the streets of manhattan uh, they were like a real gross group of dudes. Nice, nice. Really, uh, you know, putting a spotlight on uh, what their former dealings were. <laughs> Just like the statue of limitations isn't gone. Apparently, like. like a lot of their, you know, like uh, Megadeth had Eddie and uh, and Dope. There was they would work like uh, heroin needles and stuff into all the album art. 
pretty pretty cool shit uh <laughs> i mean okay so it's definitely worse than the original but if somebody were to tell you the words you know spin me around like a record new metal this is maybe close to best case scenario in my mind you think this is the best case scenario for anybody covering the spin me right round for a new metal cover of spin me right <laughs> okay well that's you know there's a way to unpack that i guess <laughs> i mean yeah there's there's a lot of qualifications in that statement but i'm just saying ways of being burned alive <laughs> this isn't the worst way Okay. Oh, man. We're going to get some hate mail from all the uh, dope fans out there. Oh, Bring it on. Where in the movie is this? Because I, I can't remember. I don't think it's in the movie. I don't oh. think it's in the movie. It I don't remember like hearing it. Yeah, it sounds like it would be in the closing credits, credits but I don't think sequence. it was. Um, I, could not, I could not find it. Well, let's see if uh, track two was in the movie. Oh, we should say before we get to track two that we are uh, skipping over some interstitial... Uh, like there are clips. some Christian Bale uh, monologues yeah, interspersed throughout the soundtrack that uh, we don't feel are necessary really to play. We may come back and visit some, but um, if you you want to see the movie, see the movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What you want to listen to? It, go do it on your own time. Right? It's not our job. <laughs> tell you what to do we're just like okay track two we got christian bale's like oh very good what is the oh good good for for you you. (laughs) this is track number two this is david bowie with something in the air american psycho remix It's not the uh, first time we're hearing from David Bowie here at Track Listing. We've heard from him on the Pretty Woman soundtrack with the Fame 90 remix. Oh, yeah. It was so. uh, pretty atrocious. How do you guys feel about this Bowie track? Uh, Stop so, remixing your stuff. <laughs> well, this is, um, even the original of this track, I think, is af- it's like on the, the 90s album after Earthling which I don't think I'm even very familiar with. The soundtrack, okay, I remember years ago somebody was talking about the movie Chinatown mm-hmm. in the context of style in a way that uh, I just never thought of before, which was that they were talking about the the 70s version of like 30s style. Yeah. And when you watch these period films, if you watch any period film, it's like, oh yeah, they're dressed like the 30s, but it's the the thirties like mixed with whatever period the movie was made in. Mm -hmm. So it's like Chinatown, they have like wide lapels and stuff. So it's like, Oh yeah, it does kind of look like seventies and thirties at the same time. And it's bizarre. Yeah. We talked about this with the call me by your name. It's like, Oh, it's very like today's fashion, but in the eighties. Oh, it's the eighties, but uh, I see what Mm -hmm. I see. But anyways, uh, with the soundtrack, the soundtrack's doing some of that where it's like, Oh, you like these eighties bands, but everything is like weirdly late nineties. So this is like late 90s Bowie, because we should say that the movie is set in the 80s. Yeah, it's set in 1987. The book was 89. Yeah. Don't know the reason for the change. It's uh, Brett Easton Ellis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brett Easton Ellis, yeah, yeah, a little bit of a... I didn't realize, 
you know, I'd always heard it was like, oh, it was a controversial book or whatever. It's his most, you know, well-known book. I didn't realize how it got like banned in a lot of places. And actually, I think a lot of people didn't get to read it until somebody decided to put it on like paperback. Yeah. And he was like a little bit like persona non grata completely, which is kind of crazy to think about. I mean, he's, he's like a little bit of a controversial figure, but to, to just be like, he wrote this book. And now nobody will like talk to him. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that will affect a guy. Yeah, and I think he's uh, entrenched in that uh, for the rest of his life. Yeah, he's he's, he's made some very controversial statements over the years uh, since then, and hasn't written too many books. <laughs> that uh, that Bowie track was from his album Hours. Yeah. It was from 1999, and. Uh, pretty poor reviews for that on pitchfork i think they gave it around like a four but um i think what happened with him is kind of what happens with a lot of artists where you know earlier in the career as they're establishing themselves they maybe get told no more often or they have more oversight on the songs that they're making but you know this is the point in bowie's career where he's allowed to do whatever and no one really uh, says no to him or gives him any guidance, which I think maybe is for the worst. Oh, absolutely. I mean, think yeah. of like later Prince music when he just had free reign to do whatever he wanted. I mean, some of it's pretty, pretty stinky. Yeah. But there's a, uh, there's that photo of Bowie that I always go back to. It's like the Bowie Normcore photo. Have you guys seen that? <laughs> no. Is this like, is from can, like a uh, dancing in the streets era or is this, this is like late nineties, like New York city. He's out record shopping and he's got shorts on and like, uh, baseball cap, tennis shoes. <laughs> I've not seen this photo. <laughs> Google Bowie Normcore and it'll oh, destroy no. any type of mystere <laughs> that you might have about Dave Milky Bowie. white legs. <laughs> yeah, I think exposed. it was like John Waters in some interview said that like men should never wear shorts because it's disgusting. <laughs> it's like, he's kind of right. Yeah, yeah right. Bowie doesn't need to be wearing shorts. Yeah, I think I think the thing with Bowie is that he was always, I mean, you know, he's a man without a steady band he's always collaborating with new people and i think throughout the decades he was able to keep current you know obviously he had like nile rogers in the 80s come in and produce let's dance for him and he would he he did that periodically and i think in the 90s right before this he did the album where i think trent reznor uh did a lot of collaboration or at least like i'm afraid of americans and he was kind of in that and it's an electronica and i remember it was i don't know how well it holds up but it was like you know for it was a bigger record than Mick Jagger ever had in the 90s, I'll say that. Right. He yeah. had like a lull in the 90s, but then that album he put out before he passed away, uh, yeah, Black yeah. Star, is great. Yeah. And I, so, I would like the one, uh, I think it's called The Next Day. The one before that is also really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's. I think it was just, you know, think about if you're in your 50s or 60s and it's like, I want to keep current. And then you're like hanging out in a studio with some 20-year-olds and you're just like, I don't know. So I think even Bowie, I think it took him a while to be like finding collaborators that were doing kind of interesting things that were current, but were not, you know, teenagers music. Yeah. And I think that's what he found at the end. I give him credit for trying, you know, I mean, like, look at like the Rolling Stones haven't written a new song in like 40 years now. (laughs) Like, What a hell of their own making that they're So many guys, they just start like uh, devolving into blues covers. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's like the rock thing now. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, this song is playing. It's the first uh, credits song, so we're kind of working backwards here. Um, before we talk about the next song, just if, if you haven't seen the movie, Patrick Bateman is like a 27-year-old hedge fund guy working at Pierce and Pierce in 1987, like top of the Wall Street sort of like mania, 
everyone's very like you know donald trumpy sort of like flashy and living amongst these people and in tandem with this christian bale is also a a murderer and he's moved into killing um like his own partners and his friends uh so it's like all kind of come crashing down on him it's so. like uh maybe a metaphor or maybe it's not <laughs> yeah. we'll talk about still that unclear unclear uh let's jump into the next track this is track number three this is the cure with watching me fall underdog remix remix here it's a remix but it's also uh, a late cure record it came out around this time 98 99 mm. it's listenable pretty curie i think you know? I, I think uh we're probably going to talk a lot about how this soundtrack would benefit if it was just pure 80s music yeah yeah but there's there's a decent chunk of 80s music on here i think yeah, yeah. underdog was uh in the band massive attack trip hop band chris's nice. favorite yeah love it. and uh maybe he's banksy i don't know there was some rumor <laughs> yeah, for a yeah. while that like banksy was some guy in massive attack or it was like all of massive attack yeah but uh remains to be seen yeah what band is shepherd fairy in that's what i want to know <laughs> sublime uh, <laughs> i think this plays over the closing credits yeah this is the third song in the credits <laughs> um, so like however. at this point you're realizing like we said before like maybe this was all in his head that these murders were hallucinations that he had they kind of leave it up in the air so brett easton ellis um has talked about like the book is intentionally ambiguous and he had also said like i don't think this should have ever been a movie because with a movie you kind of have to like take a side you know what i mean you can leave some things ambiguous but you still see it on screen yeah. So, and I think one of um, Mary Heron's, um, the director's uh, biggest regrets was that, um, like, oh, it was all in his head. And she's like, I didn't really mean for that to happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, yeah, it, it's sort of like him losing his mind. And on top of that, nobody really caring. I always took it as that he got away with it because of like the unstoppable machine that was like Wall Street and powers it be in the 80s. Like, mm-hmm. You know, you think of like the apartment that he goes into, which, which was Paul Allen's apartment, where it was like basically like, his murder playground, um, was completely like cleaned up and that sort of thing. And I, I thought about it from like a real estate standpoint. Like, I think that that is the that's the take that I have too. Because there's, like, there's too many people invested in just ignoring. It's like a six million things. dollar apartment, and mm-hmm. if it's like someplace that somebody got <laughs> you know murdered or a ton of murders happened in, that's somebody losing six million dollars. So it's like you know, I thought it was like the gross like ugh, consumerist like mm-hmm. everyone's my, yeah covering for everybody. My mm-hmm. my personal opinion on the whole thing, I think that the I think it would function better kind of in the novel way where it's like you're you're left to imagine whether everything's real or if uh nothing's real and in the movie there are some parts that are obviously not real but we're kind of left to either you know 
throw out everything or accept that there's some parts that are, it's uh I, yeah like you said the filmmakers have stated regret that they they were ambiguous about and i've read some breakdowns where it's like oh no like like most of the murders are real but paul allen's murder isn't real right and i'm like that doesn't yeah, fucking no, make any specific. sense doesn't because sense to me. that's like the most lucid murder and also like then whose apartment is he in and everything kind of I've, falls apart i'm still trying to figure out the end of this movie still trying to figure out the end of vanilla sky which is just kind of this it's like it was it all a dream i, I have no idea all i know is i'm real I'm, I'm real. real. I'm, I'm real. real. I'm real. I'm real. <laughs> Paul Allen's real. Paul Allen's, Paul Allen's real. <laughs> I think Paul Allen is real. I think a lot of people get confused because when Bat- Patrick Bateman sees his lawyer, yeah, yeah, he's like, "It's impossible that you killed him because I had lunch with him in London." That's a very confusing part, and I have an explanation for that. I think. Well, I thought initially I was like, "Oh, Patrick Bateman killed somebody who he thought was Paul Allen," but it wasn't Paul Allen. But then I was like, "No, nope, we see his business card." Yeah, so, so I think, it was Paul Allen, I think that this is what happened. Um, there's a motif. <laughs> We're already starting to spiral. <laughs> there's kind of like a, uh, you know, in like Catch-22 and like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Heller. In his novels. Joseph Heller. Joseph Heller's novels. There's all these like, it, there's these motifs kind of like uh, jokes about human nature and, and the satire of what he's talking about. And I think that Bredesen Ellis did the same thing and it functions probably a lot better in the novel where um, all the characters are constantly mistaking each other for different people. Like there's earlier in the movie, Patrick Bateman, he's like, oh, there's Paul Allen, but you see the back of his head and it's not him. It's not Jared Leto. Yeah. And uh, he's confused with Marcus Halberstram. Yeah. The people are constantly, and it's like, even I like rewatch the film and there's even more like just little things of people. Everybody's constantly like uh, mistaking each other. And it's supposed to be kind of a satire on all these guys are all you know it's like with the business cards they're all like competing in this very niche like they're trying to be the same person yeah and none of them have any distinguishing characteristics and they're like you know in this world of expendable people they're like the ultimate expendable people because they they have no distinguishing features and i think in the novel you're supposed to like it's a thing that comes up so often that at the end it's like it's kind of this like yeah even the lawyers like convinced that he that he had dinner with paul allen but it was somebody else mm-hmm. yeah. but in the movie where everything's a little too grounded you're like wait a minute no like wait is paul allen still alive and i think it was just supposed to be kind of the ultimate like circling back of all these like nobody fucking cares about anybody but themselves yeah mm-hmm. to the point that nobody even like knows who they're having dinner with yeah Speaking of having dinner, uh, there is a Robert Smith-looking motherfucker that's sitting with them. Oh, yeah. On. <laughs> like, I was like, he, he looks exactly like a cure. Or he, that's my he and his girlfriend. And it's like somebody's cousin is sitting with them or something. I don't even know. It's uh, So, what are the, one of the threads in this film, oh, man, I'm going to be doing a lot of monologuing about this movie. This, I really, really like this movie. Um, it's a thing about New York, and it's something, it's, in the art world and kind of uh, in, in New York in general, there's a theory like, does this city run? Is this an interesting city if it doesn't have the dickhead money from uh, from all the dickhead hedge, funds, fun, yeah. hedge fund people? Because that's like, you know, it. New York City is like the, you know, the capital of like dickhead, dickhead money. <laughs> Investment banking. Investment yeah. banking. Yeah, Wall Street yeah. guys. And yeah. like uh, never, never more starkly than the 80s. But it's like they're, they're going out to these clubs and all the clubs are filled with like interesting people. So it's all like, 
you know, artists and musicians and whatever. And it's like, but none of these places, you know, it's like the influx of this dickhead cokehead cash is like making everything run. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, these two guys, you know, or this couple and, you know, they're, they're probably dirt poor and interesting people, but they're like having to put up with these dickheads to get like the free food. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just, uh, Pat, Patrick Bateman starts like monologuing about what the world needs. And you see these guys and their eyes are just like rolling in the back of their head. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And it's like, even that monologue of like what Patrick Bateman's saying the world needs. Cause they're talking about like the, yeah. what the massacre in Sri Lanka. And then he's like, actually first of all we need to stop apartheid from happening <laughs> so, and then mm-hmm. like he, he like says like a very eloquent monologue about what the world needs but it's like i just one up to you because i know best about like yeah. what the world actually needs so it's racial equality it's uh you know getting rid of gender inequality and those are the big problems <laughs> anyways back to the soundtrack maybe we should jump into the next song i've got track number four this is new order with true faith man hearing new order definitely makes me nostalgic for going out and dancing in brooklyn i know um yeah this place in the movie this is uh when you see patrick bateman partying with his friends at the club yeah towards the beginning beginning of the movie yeah yeah, I was I was reading about this track. This is like um, <laughs> the the part that I heard. It was Peter Hook, who's the bass player for uh, Joy Division and New Order. And there, I think there was a constant. So New Order kind of has been split in half, and uh, has been irreconcilable for a while. And it's uh, I think Bernard Sumner and Peter Hook are kind of like the warring factions. Mm-hmm. And I think it was um, after Joy Division ended and they became New Order. There was like a push and pull between like staying kind of post-punk or becoming more like uh, electronic and new wave synth pop. And Peter hook was just like, cause of those early new order tracks and uh, joy division in general, so much of the melody is in the baseline mm-hmm. because that's like kind of like the liveliest instrument. Uh, like, you know, yeah, Peter hook, very underrated. He's really, really good. Yeah. But I think, so uh, he was talking about this track and, and he was like, Oh, it was like kind of a bad time for new order. We were like working on it. We we're constantly arguing. And he was like, I know that cause all these tracks is, this is like in the age of the 12 inches. They kept like putting out new versions to like hype up the numbers. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, Oh yeah, we'll do this and we'll do a remix. And he's like, ah. you know, in the remixes, the first thing they do is they take out the bass and they put it in the bass. <laughs> it's like, maybe it's like, okay. And sure enough, they did it. <laughs> but this is the original version of, of all the tracks on uh, the soundtrack. This is one of the only kind of uh, untouched remixed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, man. New Order still holds up. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're talking about popular Peter. opinion. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're uh, going to lose any fans with that one. But uh, yeah, Peter Hook wrote one of the best bass lines, I think, ever for Blue Monday. I mean, uh, my yeah, that's God. Right. Yeah, it's, the, it's it, dude, it's one of the most awesome bass lines. Was that ever. the way he borrowed that from like a Western score, yeah. like he, a Morricone? Yeah, yeah. He yeah, lifted yeah. it from, I think it was like The Good and Bad, The Ugly yeah. or something. It's yeah. One of the, one of the showdowns. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Me, 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 Genius. It's so good. But yeah, this is not one of my favorite New Order songs, but it's a very good one. I think they released this. Was this on their compilation album, Substance? Yeah, this was on that Substance, the collection of all the singles. Yeah, like I used to have double, a copy of that disc. on vinyl. I'm not sure where it is, but... I have a couple. <laughs> <laughs> you got a backup. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that album. You guys want to hear track number five? Yeah. This is Daniel Ash with Trouble. Daniel Ash got a uh, song made for the movie with this one. Oh, did he? Yeah. I knew Daniel Ash from uh, playing guitar in Bauhaus. Bauhaus. And, he, and like, then uh, he, he was, so the funny thing about Bauhaus is they kept like uh, turning into a different band when they lose a band member. Right. So it was like Peter Murphy uh, went and did his own thing and then Bauhaus became Tones on Tail. And then I think there was another reshuffling and it became... Uh, Love and Rockets. Love and Rockets. Yeah, I never went down that Daniel Ash oh, timeline. I love it. I know there's some good stuff, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah, but I think he took over some of the like the singing duties, but yeah. So this is where he was right. in the 2000s? I guess so. Just yeah. Daniel Ash? It's proof that uh, goth like goth and trip-hop are essentially the same thing, just oh, different no. decades. <laughs> so I, I, know that, I know they did a um, Broadway production of uh, American, American Psycho, Psycho. Yeah, which yeah. Uh, was kind of a flop. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the music in it uh, that I heard was, it sounded like it was more up in this kind of avenue. Yeah. It was in the Daniel Ash world. I, w- do you think it was a case of them abandoning the satire and just going for like a straight, like thriller type Broadway I mean, show? I'm not sure exactly like, why, but. but I think it just really didn't translate well. Yeah. I can't imagine it would. Just trying to turn that story into a musical just like (laughs) didn't sit well with people, I think. One of the stranger things that sort of came out of um, American Psycho was uh, there was a remix of This Must Be the Place or a rework by a guy named Miles Fisher. uh, My favorite Talking Heads track. Yeah. And he did a, um, I guess like his own cover of it with like an American Psycho thing on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And it went like super viral. And Hmm. you might remember Miles Fisher, he was like a Tom Cruise impersonator in a few movies. (laughs) That's a job. (laughs) Yeah, that's a job. Uh, But he did did it really well. But I, I think that was sort of glorifying the bad aspects of Mm -hmm. american psycho which (laughs) this movie definitely does that too like people still were like infatuated with um patrick bateman and the whole thing like ah you didn't did you watch the movie like do you understand maybe i didn't mm -hmm. because obviously like i remember when uh wolf of wall street came out and Mm -hmm. i really liked it but people were it was i think obvious to a lot of people how it was going to be championed by the people that is lampooning yeah. because they're, because yeah. it looks fun. Cause like the mm-hmm. life of the people in that looks really fun. Uh, when I watched this, even like Patrick Bateman, he is, you know, it's like <laughs> he's in the perfect shape and he's like, you know, even, you know, when 
the best scene in the movie in my mind when they're they're showing the business cards and like comparing the, the yeah, essentially the, the exact Dick same business contest card, yeah. the exact same business and just like Fuck. That is sad. Like, that is really something. It's like Raise all of that is. Shell. But there's there's so many there's so many scenes where even before he starts to really lose it, where uh, he's played for laughs in a lot of parts. In that I don't. I guess maybe I don't remember that clearly from like the original time I watched it. But like rewatching it now, like he's constantly talking about how he has to return uh, videotapes. Yeah, which is so good. <laughs> and there's just yeah, so many man. times where he's scrambling. He's just kind of pathetic and like uh, the, the. I've read the book and. I I read it um, like latter part of college and he is portrayed as a much bigger loser in the book. Mm. Like he is uh, constantly like putting his foot in his mouth and some weird thing. Like they kind of do it in the movie where I'll be, I'll be talking about like Ed Gein or something. And everyone's like, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> but like they make it really obvious that like this guy's a loser. And like, I think by seeing how good looking Christian Bale is and he's, you know, like doing jump rope and crazy ab stuff. And he's like, looks cool that like, people were somehow attracted to that in some weird way. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there was a whole market behind it. Like, you know, we were watching a video on YouTube this time about like the, the American psycho collection, like from Hugo boss. I think <laughs> that, that oh, God. Yeah. Like they didn't get the point of the consumer. Yeah, he's a monster. Yeah. I think that part of, part of the problem, which I think is actually, I would argue is probably a success of the film is kind of the, like the Halloween costumification of the character. It's like the mm-hmm. way that he has the particular see-through raincoat. Mm-hmm. And it's like the way that everything is like interesting and a kind of original and also chic. It's like, I think maybe, but I see him as like a, you know, I see him as like a movie monster. Yeah. And then it's like, it's an exaggerate, you know, he's, he's the movie monster of, uh, of like eighties capitalism in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, you know, uh, so many of these, people i guess maybe don't talk about it that much but it's like the vampire is supposed to be in reality it's like oh like the the dead he lives they live forever but they can't like they you know they can't see the the sun mm-hmm. and it's like kind of a, this metaphor of what it means to be alive what it means to be alive is to see the sun to you know to eat food and like what is the opposite of that it's you have to like survive off of the blood of others and it's like this kind of wretched cursed lifestyle yeah but it's become glorified now and we don't like think about like the original kind of like a the metaphor that gave birth to the monster and this is like well no i think vampires actually can be in the sun but their skin are diamonds yeah maybe there's special yeah. sunblock there's special sunblock and um yeah i guess maybe i am you maybe i'm you thinking can still go to monster. high school i think if you're a vampire and <laughs> well, check I, out our twilight episode yeah. <laughs> i did want to so sorry, we should talk about some of the supporting cast of the film because yeah. uh yeah jared leto Jared Leto's really good at Paul Allen in the book. I think is a different name. It's and I'm Paul confused. Owen in the book. Okay. Because That's Paul Allen is like an actual, I mean, he's recently passed away, but he was like one of the founders of Microsoft and owned the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why? Yeah. I had a, um, uh, I had a creative writing teacher named Paul Allen, uh, right when I was Lucky? Re- reading that book. <laughs> <laughs> so if you Great read the guy. book, is there a reason why Justin Thoreau has like white Walker, uh, contacts in <laughs> i don't know but in the book that guy uh is is like the most interesting character and they say it in the movie too they're like oh like he's the only one that's like actually kind of unique and he's like more of a badass than the rest of them the rest of them are kind of just like snivelly like <laughs> like dudes that have no idea how to please a woman and like that's but they can just pay for everything so it doesn't matter but he's like the only one that's like kind of cool and like 
there's like a part in a nightclub where like he just like runs away because he's just like, you guys want to jump into track number six? Let's yeah. do it. This is Eric B. and Rakim with Paid in Full Cold Cut Remix. I learned to earn cause I'm righteous I feel great, so maybe I might just search for a 9 to 5 If I strive, then maybe I stay alive So I walk up the street, whistling this Feeling out of place, cause man do I miss A pen and a paper, a stereo, a taper Me and Eric being a nice big plate of this Which is my favorite dish But without no money, it's still a wish Cause I don't like to dream about getting paid So I dig into the books of the rhymes that I made So now it's a test to see if I got pulled Hit the studio Cause I'm paid in full Yeah man, I was going back on some uh, early Eric B and Rakim today There's so much good stuff Oh yeah, this is like um, some of the best. one of my favorite hip hop albums Yeah And uh, so this is the Cold Cut remix But it's actually... Uh, uh, this is a contemporaneous remix. This is when they put out the album, like the B-side was the remix that became more, a little bit, it's very similar to the original, but it, it was like more clubby and it was like a bigger hit than the original. This isn't like a... Yeah, I like that. The Cold Cut remix. Well, Cold Cut is, yeah. it's a couple guys from England, I think. Um, but yeah, this is Eric B. He's hilarious in that he's, uh, I think I remember DJ Premier doing it too, but it was something that happened around this time where they would sample... Uh, they would sample vocals from like the same album on other songs yeah. in like the, the hook. So they would create a hook from like a clip from a verse on another track on the same album. And it was like this, a uh, little bit of a self-referential thing. And we're <laughs> gonna, like a th- there. through line. Yeah. And there's, there's some Eric, uh, there's some rock him like uh, samples that will come up later in the episode. But I think like, yeah, in like the, the chorus of this is like a uh, sampled from another song. It's a really good song. Yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. And that original sample was the Afra Haza song, Im uh, Ninalu. Ah, okay. So, and you hear, it's like tough to tell if you're listening to the Eric B. and Rakim version or the original sampled song when they're entering that one restaurant. Because you're like, oh, it's paid in... F- well? Yeah, you hear the, like the... Ah, might just be the sample. It's yeah. close. Yeah. But that's the restaurant they were all uh, dining with the... Uh, the Robert Smith guy, <laughs> the couple. Oh yeah, what's well, uh, a Asos? Is it a uh, uh, Reese Witherspoon? Oh yeah, we forgot to mention Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, she's in this. She's pretty good as uh, Patrick Bateman's fiance that he ends up just having to leave because he has to engage in uh, psychotic behavior. <laughs> I like mm-hmm. like the great thing about her character is that it's in cap- She's like so clueless about that you know their relationship and like the person that she's in the relationship with yeah it's, it's like the idea that somebody hasn't you have no idea that you're trying to marry a serial killer mm-hmm. even when they're like i just gotta i gotta kill people hun it's like you know we all got our own <laughs> things going <laughs> man I, you know I've, I've watched a lot of like true crime stuff and it's like <laughs> you always are like did you not realize you were married to a serial killer? How did you miss this? And nobody catches it. Like on both sides. They're That's like, fucking insane. Like, look, he had a locked room in the house. <laughs> he just was like, he said it was his office. That's Kyle. That's Kyle for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it always goes. And like, okay, if one of you were a serial killer, you're not looking for it, you know, as a friend. You're not expecting it to happen. So I don't know. I mean, 
I know that's a ridiculous thing to say. I th- but. See, I think it's different in New York City because nobody has a garage or a basement. Yeah, it would be tough to, to get away with murder in New York City. Yeah, I don't even have a place for my papers, <laughs> much less like a... <laughs> A captive <laughs> the shed that you keep a padlock on never go in the shed kids. it's dad shed get off the shed get off the shed okay you guys want to jump into track number seven yeah this is tom tom club with who feeling it phillips psycho mix who feels it knows it who loves it Shows it. Here, here comes my genius. Killing me with kid with his stylus. Slap it on the turntable, DJ. Won't you play for me, Marvin Gaye? Invisible scratch and pickles. Beastie boys, thrills and tickles. Beat junkies, make it funky, please. Fela Kuti is no zombie. Scratch it up, here comes my genius. All right, Tom Tom Club. That's uh, Chris France and Tina Weymouth from Talking Heads. Started as a side project band. And uh, Tom Tom Club has some great songs, and they've also got a lot of stinky songs. Yeah. Um, there's an album they released in 2007 called uh, Missile Tunes, which is their Christmas album. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> Pretty stinky. Well, but. Uh, I, I also saw them at a, uh, it was at a city winery. Chris France and Tina Weymouth were doing a, they were hosting a screening of Stop Making Sense. And, uh, you know, they would talk, they would play a track and then pause the movie and talk about it. And uh, they were basically just talking smack on David Byrne the entire time. (laughs) Oh, God. I guess they just have a bad relationship with after uh, they broke up with Talking Heads. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you got to think that David Byrne's a bit of like a, uh, egomaniac sort of guy but i I loved it and i love david burns they were basically kind of saying like he was incapable of maintaining personal relationships with people yeah i mean david byrne is probably one of my favorite living artists um but he did just produce a great special where he recast the rest of his band with people dressed exactly like him just like maybe he's got some control issues <laughs> yeah, i don't know just a little bit well the real slim shady like if, stand up yeah, if i was tina weymouth and i turn on hbo and i just see 40 david burns <laughs> just like jesus christ this guy <laughs> you're talking about american utopia yeah, yeah, yeah. which was great it was oh, great yeah it was, it was awesome. great a bunch of talking head songs without any other talking heads in the band i don't know yeah. uh tom tom club that first album of theirs, Genius I, I of Love, love Genius I of love, love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, Made it more popular probably by Mariah Carey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, and their their biggest song, their first song, they uh, there's a there's a big period where they're they're like listing people that they other musicians that they really like. Moana, Moana. Yeah, Moana. Li- a little a uh, little bit of shout out, and they're like doing the exact same thing here, but it's like. I, we got to talk about like kind of a cultural appropriation in music because music is a melting pot and you, you have to be able to like incorporate all sorts of like different influences from the, the world. But there's like a, there's a taste thing, right? Where sometimes like you do it and it's like, Oh, that's just a little, it's like a little too much. And it's a little cringy. Mm-hmm. And Tom Tom club to my mind, especially later in their career, it's, they turn on it, full cringe. It yeah. dips into like a surpassing like, appreciation into appropriation in, into yeah. appropriation and like mimicry. 
you know it's like mm-hmm. what what accent are you doing there and it's like mm-hmm. i appreciate that they're making they're going far out of their way to list all their influences in a, but it's like maybe don't lean so hard on influences and just kind of like yeah be yourselves on some tracks but we mentioned them so it's <laughs> fine <laughs> We uh, said we said Mohanan, <laughs> so we can do whatever we want. We told these we created them in the song. I think in stop making sense. You know, there's a point where where uh, David Byrne needs to take a break, and he's like, "Well, I'll let uh, Chris and Tina like play their cute little song by their little side project." <laughs> You're adorable. Oh, change my suit. <laughs> oh, guys, change my suit in for a bigger suit. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look out for a bigger suit, everybody. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think his quote was like, "I toot, I pooed, and I uh, put on my big suit." <laughs> So, yeah. Is David Byrne a nightmare to work with? <laughs> Might we'll be. let them present their little project that oh, they work very hard on. Tom Tom so, Club. Little Tom Tom Club. Tom, Tom. After, I'll God. check in with Jonathan Demi and maybe we'll leave it in. Maybe we won't. Yeah. I don't know. We'll we'll yeah, Jonathan Demi made that movie. Yeah. Oh, that's one of the best movies. Uh-huh. Uh, anyways, the Tom Tom Club. This song's okay. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> You guys, it looks like we're coming up on a break. Ooh. Perfect. Uh, I've prepared a game for you guys, and it's a new game. New game. I'm excited, a little bit terrified. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the Should episode, be. as always, we're going to add a track to the Tracklisting Spotify playlist. This week, um, in honor of American Psycho, we're going to have a Psycho Killer song. That's right. And it's going to be a little bit of a good, the bad, ugly like standoff on if anybody's going to pick Psycho Killer. Don't do it. All right. Uh, All this and nothing else <laughs> when we come back. Stick with us. Thank you to everyone for listening to Track Listing Podcast. It's 2021. We got a lot of great soundtracks for you guys. You can also find us on a variety of social media platforms. Oh, you sure can, Nick. If you want to find us on Instagram, you can reach out at, at Tracklisting Podcast. That's right, Caleb. And you can also find us on Twitter <laughs> at Tracklisting Pod. Tell your friends, tell your family about Tracklisting Podcast. And we sure would appreciate it if you would rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app. That's right, Caleb. And you can also find us on chess.com at Tracklisting Podcast or Reddit.com at Tracklisting Podcast. And now back to the episode. Back to the episode. You know what that sound means. We have a game prepared by our very own Christopher Darden. What have you got for us, Chris? That's correct. I've got a brand new game for you guys, and uh, the name of it is in that little uh, soundbite, if you want to play that real quick. Oh, good for you! (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, Okay. Christian Bale uh, got a little uh, famous for, uh, or not famous for, but Christian Bale had a little bit of a freak out on the set of one of the Terminator movies, I oh, think. Oh, yeah, I remember that. He's screaming at, uh, like, a gaffer or something. A lighting guy, yeah, or something. You know, Salvation. Somebody was in his, you're in my line, like, line of sight every fucking time. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think it's fun that uh, a lot of uh, musicians have had some freakouts. Uh, over I think I see where this is going. So, I'm going to play a little freakout for you guys, um, and uh, I think you guys are going to have to identify the musician or the band all right and if you can give me some context that's bonus points Do we have multiple rounds of this or we've got multiple rounds <laughs> all right, all right. so i see four rounds but if you guys take too long then i'm gonna play this hurry up sound 
Give me a fucking answer. <laughs> All right. So Very it's good. pretty straightforward. Just identify who's freaking out. Okay, right. okay. I think I understand. Caleb, do you understand? Okay. These, I do understand. Nick, do you understand? I understand. Are okay. we ready to play? These are all musicians over the course of time. Okay. Here's round one. Let me fucking tell you something. Let me tell you something. I've been around since fucking 1980 fucking eight. And you're going to give me one fucking minute? You got to be fucking kidding me. You fucking kidding me. What the fuck? I'm not fucking Justin Bieber, you motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, his voice kind of sounds like uh, S- uh, Sebastian yeah, Bach. Yeah, it sounds like Sebastian Bach. Skid Row. Okay. Okay. But with the Bieber reference, though, yeah, he puts it in a different time period, and he's giving you a bit of a clue. With I've been around since when eighty. It's a little late for Sebastian Bach, don't you okay. think? Yeah, since it's like a, Is it a boy band? It is not what would be considered a boy band. Is it Justin Timberlake? No. <laughs> Could we hear it one yeah. more time? Yeah, one more time. <laughs> Let me fucking tell you something. Let me tell you something. I've been around since fucking 1980 fucking eight. And you're gonna give me one fucking minute? You gotta be fucking kidding me. Uh, I can like... I mean, is, is it Vanilla Ice? It is not Vanilla Ice. Um, do you guys want a clue? Yeah, yeah, I better give us a clue. Yeah, it sounds so familiar. I know that voice. This was uh, 2012. Okay. And it happened at the iHeartRadio Music Festival. Okay. <laughs> Were you there, Caleb? Were you guys there? Were you there? I was there. Uh, um, is this like a, a solo act or a band? This is a band. This is a power trio. Oh, power trio from um, late 80s. Well, okay. So, been around since 1988. That doesn't necessarily mean that's when their heyday was. Mm. We give you a lot of clues. <laughs> that, because it's, that, it's hard. Is that Rush? So, is that someone from uh, Rush? No. So, no. it's a 90s, 90s band, three guys, and then it's somebody who would still... Bare Naked Ladies? Mark McGrath? You guys are getting warmer, but... See, Mark McGrath does radio, so it's, I feel like it might be somebody... The voice is so, like, he's got a little bit of, like, a radio voice now. Blink 182. Getting warmer. Wait, what? What is the minute that they're giving him? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the context of it. So close with Blink 182. Is the teleprompter said like one minute left? <laughs> the band stops playing. Green Day. It is Green Day. Yeah. Specifically, Green. that is Billy Joe Armstrong really? from Green Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, they gave him one minute left. I remember that. He lost his mind. <laughs> Gotta be fucking. And then smashed his guitar. I guess they like, they must have only given him a few minutes to play in general, but um, he smashes his guitar. Everybody else smashed their stuff and then they stormed off. But cheer up, Billy Joe. Just a, it's going to be all right. A tantrum <laughs> in, a, in a big oh, way. Yeah, he sounded he sounded so much like 80s hair metal voice for some reason. It does. Yeah, it does. Maybe because that's the prima donna thing. Uh, <laughs> but it, I like the idea of a band playing and somebody like just being like, yeah. <laughs> Titan, Titan, less. End the song. Less is more. Stop. (laughs) Stop the song. Stop the song. Stop playing now. Stop soon, please. (laughs) All right, let's hear uh, round two. Bring your ass off stage. You're ever throwing shit at me. I will tell you right now, I will beat the fuck out of you. Okay? You're a pussy punk. 
people right now because I'm gonna walk off stage and guess what? You're paying for it, motherfucker, okay? All right, I think I may have that one. <laughs> yeah. All right, give me a clue, because like there's a, there's a little bit of music in here. The, yes, that's the big clue. <laughs> Greatest band of all time. <laughs> that's the big clue. All right, I think there's a whistle uh, in the in their big song that is very recognizable. Do you want to know where this was? <laughs> I want to know. I'm so curious if I'm right. This was uh, the taste of Foco. 2015 this is further confirming my idea is this a uh a very lethal band (laughs) yeah they're maybe now the most dangerous (laughs) band of all time a real dicey dangerous band i think that's steve harwell from smash mouth that is correct (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. nice well done Um, oh man that guy (laughs) is a real jerk well they were throwing water bottles at him boo hoo Uh, we Ooh. got we got two more of these. You think we can make it? You know, there's a band called Body Count, but uh, <laughs> there's a band that should be called Body Count. Yeah, that's, well, we'll Smash Mouth is related. <laughs> Smash Mouth is maybe directly responsible for a large amount of COVID spreading. Yeah, that's yeah. It, like documented, <laughs> documented cases. Smash Mouth starting originating from the Smash Mouth concert. <laughs> oh boy. Unbelievable. How about uh, round number three, huh? No, yeah. Let's do it. Let's right. hear freak out number three. Um, everybody out there that's watching, everybody that's watching this world, this world is bull. And you shouldn't model your life. Wait a second. You shouldn't model your life about what you think that we think is cool and what we're wearing and what we're saying and everything. Go with yourself. Go with yourself. A right. little bit, little bit less of a freak out there, maybe, but Is still, like maybe Jessica Simpson. I'm like, I'm getting the same kind of era. It, this this is somebody that seems like they've been so uh, divorced from the real world for a while, where they don't even know how to talk about it. It's like you gotta just do your own your your style, like a Britney, Britney Spears. Christine, uh, Christine Aguilera, or is this more rock? No, on no, on all accounts, it's more <laughs> rock. It's more rock, I guess. Rock. But but it's it's not a it's not a pop uh, sensation, not a pop idol. Is this is a group or a solo? This is a solo solo person. Let's hear that uh, voice once again. Yeah. Um. Everybody out there that's watching, everybody that's watching this world, this world is bull. And you shouldn't model your life. Wait a second. You shouldn't model your life about what you think that we think is cool and what we're wearing and what we're saying and everything. Go with yourself. Go with yourself. Very familiar sounding. It was a big deal at the time because she she swore on uh, live television. That was, uh, she said BS. I'm not even going to say it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And that was back in 1997. Okay. So there's your clue. Ugh. Do you want to know the context? Is it? Are you guys? I'll take context. Doesn't sound like Alanis Morissette. No, it's not Alanis Morissette because she's got a little bit of a Canadian twang. This is from someone the, from the Chicks. Nobody from the Chicks. Um, this is from the 1997 MTV Music Video Awards. Oh. So so think hard and deep. I remember, like, Lisa Marie Presley went on there and, like, said a bunch of stuff. Mm. But uh, I think that was with Michael. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know if I have anything. Can for you this play one. that hurry up sound real quick? Um, <laughs> Give me a fucking answer. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't have uh, one. Rock 97. Is, she sounds still pretty young. Youngish. Is it? Yeah. She was Avril Lavigne? No. Too early. Getting, getting further away. No. A little too early. Yeah. Meredith Brooks. Something. Mandy Moore. No, no pop. She's had, a, she's had a recent album. She put out an album very recently. And some people loved it. And what about Fiona the Apple? It's Fiona Apple. Ah. <laughs> that album's supposed to be really, really good. Every, yeah, oh, yeah. the one that's like a, I, I liked it's it. It's like a poem. It's like a hundred words. No, no, there's no, the one okay. after that. It's like a, a bolt cutter or something. She kind of like wrote it and yeah, it yeah, sort of epitomized it. supposed to be one of the best. Uh, Give me um, a fucking yeah. answer! <laughs> <laughs> All right, All right. Fiona Apple. That's, that's pretty about, good. Uh, round number four? Some deep thoughts from Fiona Apple. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. All right, here's... Clue number four. Love your neighbor. it hurts. I'm talking about grab your friend. I'm talking about love. I'm talking about some love. I'm talking about some love. I'm talking about love. 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 Grab your fucking friend and love it. Oh my goodness. Very abrasive recording. Yeah. Um, any ideas right off the bat? I've got one. The, the I think it's Jim Morrison having one of his like. Uh, oh, sounds kind of LSD Jimmy. freakouts. Yeah, taking his pants off, getting yeah. arrested. Well done. Yeah. It is All Jim right. Morrison. Right. It is Very Jim good. Morrison. He was the first person to swear on stage. Yeah. No, first person. <laughs> <laughs> that was Miami in 1969, <laughs> and he was uh, later charged with indecent exposure. Oh, yeah. And apparently... Little Jim. During that, you know, he got a glimpse of Little Jim, and he was... Um, doing stuff to himself talking about love because <laughs> the, the best thing about uh jim morrison freakouts is because his he, the whole like uh act sober jim is like doing like a freak out and when he's like a uh, drunk jim or or uh, high jim then it's just like a repetitive bad version you're kind of like is this gonna go into a song <laughs> it sounds like he's starting a song it sounds like, like he's, he's singing he's gonna go love, love. and it's like now no, no, it's not a song. <laughs> no. He's freaking out. <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, yes. hey, yeah. well done. Thank, Thank you, you for the uh, new game. Did that game have a uh, name? Uh, I think I put it in the beginning. You want to play that real quick? Uh... Oh, good for you. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. For you. Just I'm needed that. for you. You're having a great freak out. Just had to hear that one more time. It's also reminding me of that Tom Cruise yeah, the, freak the Tom out during Cruise. COVID. Yeah. I, I feel like Tom Cruise was... Uh, he was doing the right thing. He I was think. doing the right thing, which makes me way, think. But. I think that he was doing it on purpose to release, and he was trying to. Ha- he was he was aping like the this he was doing. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> what was that? You think he was inspired by Christian Bale? He was like, I can have my own Christian Bale moment. I'm yeah. just like Christian Bale. Yeah. I- <laughs> it's funny you say that. Getting back to the uh, the soundtrack. Christian Bale saw he didn't know how to do this character until he saw Tom Cruise on some late night show interview and he was like yeah he was like super friendly but there was nothing behind his eyes and I was like that's what I got to do yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like yeah that's amazing and sense. also there's uh, there's some famous like early deep fakes where uh, people have superimposed Tom Cruise's face on some of the sexy scenes oh man and it's very disturbing it yeah. looks very similar unless you like really <laughs> 
<laughs> and then get in there, you're like, oh, yeah. I get more terrified of deep fake technology by the day. We're not ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's too real, much power. Real can of worms. There's deep fakes of Tom Cruise and that guy. I think they're still trying out. to like figure out exactly how to render the, the the thing that gives it away a lot of the time is like the teeth. They yeah. haven't quite figured that out. So I, I watched like some <laughs> Barack Obama you know, interview that was like not real, but uh, it all looked like pretty convincing. Except when you see his mouth, it's like, oh my gosh, this looks terrible. Well, like you and I, I mean, the the three of us can discern it, but like our boomer parents won't be able to fucking do it. You know, mm. that's what I'm scared of. But, yeah, yeah, they got the bad eyes and the bad brains behind them. <laughs> oh no, uh, boomer <laughs> brains. <laughs> my parents have great brains. My parents are great people. <laughs> sorry, not to. I don't mean to. Cry. I'm sorry for this whole episode, by the way. <laughs> uh, let's jump into uh, drag number eight. This is information. Society with What's on Your Mind, the Pure Energy Mix. I am uh, so happy to hear this song. Uh, yeah, I don't for a think few I knew reasons. that song, but very uh, new ordery. This very this is um, kind of it's surprisingly late eighties. This is I think the tracks from like maybe eighty eight, and uh, I, I don't know if they're technically a one hit wonder, but like very much. I think if you talk about like eighties one hit wonders, this is like in that sweet spot. But this is a perfect example of something that uh, we talk a lot about on this podcast. And I never come up with a really good uh, example of it. Yeah. And this is a band from Minneapolis, St. Paul area doing a very British accent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is the reverse Beatles, the reverse Rolling Stones. In mm-hmm. a million years, I would have never guessed they were from Minneapolis. This is... The Twin Cities. <laughs> yeah. The the British Invasion Backlash. It's finally the the people pretending to be... Uh, because new, new wave uh, music, for the listeners, yeah, was just, so quintessentially British in character that... Uh, a lot of American bands early on in their careers were trying to like mimic the sound so much that yeah. their voices started to curdle. Yeah. What's <laughs> on your mind? <laughs> That's the, I like that track now. <laughs> oh no, it's really, really it's good. good. And this this is a, a remix, but it's kind of a gentle remix. And I, I think I like the original a little bit better, but uh, they're very similar. And this is a great, a great song. Do we know where that was uh, playing in the movie? Did this make it into the film? Yeah, it was when the, they were at that one club all doing uh, cocaine in the bathroom together and That's then complaining right. that it was like, oh, this is like sweetener. I'm trying to get high, not uh, you know, <laughs> just sweeten my coffee. Justin Throw is really good, even with the weird eyes. <laughs> yeah, steroids and cocaine. <laughs> but like, that, isn't that the thing where it's like, he starts. I'm fucking trying to do drugs in here. Shut up. <laughs> it's it's something I I do not understand because the I think the first time I saw it, I thought the guy in the next stall was making fun of them for being so obvious about doing drugs and like loudly talking about it. But then on rewatch, I was like, no, he was doing drugs too, and actually says, "Dude, I'm trying to do drugs in here." And you're like, "Why would you ever?" <laughs> draw attention to yourself or say that when doing that it, it blew my mind like you're just being a jerk to be a jerk <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> yeah i think it's just a point that they're all everybody in the bathroom is just there to do drugs yeah yeah that's a good way to put it yeah uh but it, yeah 
And he tries to fight him, and he's like, sorry. <laughs> steroids. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, to me there a little bit. Oh, my bad guys. <sighs> I'm on steroids. I, uh, the one thing about the movie that, uh, that I can't quite reconcile is the character is supposed to be 27, which, like, yeah. I guess maybe in the 80s was a thing where you would, like, straight out of, I guess, you know, because he says he went to Harvard, then Harvard, so he's straight out of, like, uh, MBA, gets his graduate degree and he goes straight into a thing and and there's somebody who says like your dad like owns a place or something like that yeah yeah we're led uh, to believe he's like just connected and yeah. set up already but i don't think that's a 27 christian year. bales never looked 27 like I'd, he was yeah. 13 and then he was like 34 for a yeah. long time yeah. yeah uh you're so right yeah he was from like you know uh empire of the sun straight to this movie <laughs> he was like newsboy yeah, it was like newsies and <laughs> yeah. there i mean <laughs> We, there's some there's some movies where it's kind of like like John Cusack in High Fidelity. It's like, oh man, I'm I remember being in college three years ago, and you're like, what? <laughs> uh, this isn't that. This isn't yeah. that. But it's just kind of. I think they could have just aged up the she character as yeah. just a tiny bit. I think yeah. in the book he's like 25 or something, even younger or something. Yeah, I guess. No, maybe he's maybe he's. 25. I've lived in New York enough to be able to distinguish like mid-20s dipshits from like mid-30s dipshits and this is like you don't start murdering until you're in your like early 30s i just i just feel like yeah is it messed up that i was like guys accomplished so much he's talking about like his skincare regime and i'm like yeah, yeah. 20 like you're still like doing your like a molting your your like lizard skin every few years comes off it's all <laughs> i was joking around about like, such a gross scene <laughs> we should do like a um a parody of that scene and be like every morning i wake up around 11 i check my phone for about 15 to 20 minutes and i look at my stocks and if it's green i feel good if it's red i don't know what to do i roll out of bed and i usually take a dump <laughs> sometimes i sit there and i scroll some more <laughs> just like, like, you know, the, the meticulousness of just being a piece of shit just like <laughs> I sit down when I shower now. I just let the water roll over me 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes I curl up in a ball and sometimes I'll get out of the shower and just lie on the ground onto a, a towel. <laughs> I drink a beer while I do crunches. I can do three now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the next track, a little confused about how to say this artist name. Maybe you guys can help me out. Is it, uh, it's M slash A slash R slash R slash S. Is I that Mars? Or Mars. I think it's Mars. All right, this is drag number nine. This is Mars with Pump Up the Volume. Pump up the volume, pump up the volume, pump up the volume, dance, dance. wasn't familiar with that artist what do you guys know about mars um well they they're they're listed as like people bring them up as a one-hit wonder and that they this is their only hit i think they re maybe only recorded two songs i think it was like an a-side and a b-side kind of reminded me of that band yellow that did uh yeah, a lot of yeah. 80s kind of uh, beat music well this is i said earlier <laughs> the uh the pump up the volume sample is uh that's rakim yeah from i think 
it's a different track. I think it's you you got soul off of uh-huh. uh, paid in full. Yeah. But it's so this is a sample heavy. I think that there's uh there's samples of like some Star Trek uh quotes in there. Perfect. Um this was Mars gets its name. It's a collaboration between there were two bands that were on the same label. I think it was Colorbox and uh Arcane or Arcane. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. So they were two British bands with like, you know, uh a certain amount of success and they came together, I think probably uh enticed by like a new kind of uh hip-hop uh club culture aka uh, drugs hit england and they put together this jam and as a kid i was obsessed with it and i'm still a little obsessed with it i think this is a great song and i think that uh there's different versions that were released over time that we can't even hear anymore because the samples never got cleared oh interesting but it's it's all samples and uh and it was a big hit yeah, do you think that's gonna happen with like um, like girl talk type people? Like retroactive litigation is gonna just like have it not be able to play. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's that De La Soul. Like De La Soul's greatest record is not streaming anywhere because they can't clear the samples because it was uh, Prince Paul yeah. and produced it and it was all oh, and they just it's just not. You have to like I don't even know if they're like repressing the vinyl or anything i mean you can buy you have to buy the cd or it's gonna be lost media soon speaking of uh, girl talk i was at um mikey's hookup a couple of weeks ago getting oh, nice. a uh, shout out a battery replacement great spot yeah but uh so this guy came in and he didn't have a mask on at first and the people behind the counter at mikey's were like whoa 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 mask mask and he's like oh okay geez he puts on his mask. He looked like he had basically come straight from Burning Man. And um, he should have a mask then. I mean, this was pre- <laughs> actually pretty ridiculous. He was like, uh, the guy was like, what can I help you with? He's like, uh, I need DJ equipment. He's like, okay, uh, what are you looking for? I need it now. He's like, girl talk. I just, I want to make girl talk stuff. I want to make <laughs> stuff like that. Anything. He's like, I love, I love girl talk. Oh, just no. what do I, what do I need to do girl talk? <laughs> The guy behind the counter was like, okay, here we go. Right. Well, and, uh, he was being, you know, nice to the guy about it. Yeah. But um, they kind of looked at me and gave me the eye roll. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Look, I was like, who's this fucking guy? Yeah. We're going to set you up with the Ubisoft 840, okay? This is the best girl talk machine we've got on the market. <laughs> yeah, totally pulling like a Don Cheadle from uh, Boogie Nights. <laughs> yeah. Dude, the funniest thing about, like, I remember years ago, like, like being like, yeah, how, what, how, do, how do these girl talk people do the... Greg Gillis, whatever. Uh, and he uses a very particular program that no other DJs or I don't think even mashup artists really use it. It kind of like stems off in a weird ways. And uh, I, yeah, I used to have a copy of it. I forgot what it was called. It was like, yeah, it wasn't SoundForge, but uh, it was. Uh, it's something that I've only heard of in context of him using it. Yeah, and he, he just used a chop laptop. Up stuff. Uh, as yeah. far as DJs go, he doesn't use any DJ equipment. Yeah, it's just, just a laptop. laptop That's what I was point. expecting the guy to say. Mikey's, he's like, uh, oh, you want to do Girl Talk? Well, uh, the MacBook Pro yeah. uh, 2012, that's, uh, that's what you want. That's all you need. <laughs> oh, man. But um, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's interesting to think about music rights coming in and no one's going to be able to listen to that stuff anymore. I'm just going to like roll into Guitar Center in Union Square. Like, uh, like, how can I help you? Like, Rolling Stones. I want to be Rolling Stones. I want to be Rolling what Stones. What stuff please? do I need to be Rolling Stone? <laughs> I've been waiting for you to walk in here, man. Yeah. Let me show you this fender. Yeah. 
You guys want to jump into the penultimate track, track number 10. Let's do it. This is The Racket with Paid in Full Remix. Picking up a master plan. This ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand. So I dig into my pocket for my money spent. I dig deeper, still coming up with it. So I start my mission, leave my residence. Thinking how can I get to that president? I need money. I used to be a stick-up kid. So I think about the devious things I did. Sit in my chest, see if I got pulled. I hit studio, cause I'm paid in full. I hit studio, cause I'm paid in full. You heard that right. Paid in full. This is truly hideous. That was uh, a combination of so many things that I dislike. (laughs) Some gross rap rock happening. Yeah, rap rock, man. There's something uh, that I think that... A little bit industrial. People must have realized around... Because this is, I feel like, a little bit late for this to even happen. You can't cover hip-hop because hip-hop is kind of autobiographical. At least a lot of it is. Mm-hmm. And so you hear somebody, you know, Rakim is, you know, whether it's a heightened version or whatever, he's he's talking about his life, right? Yeah, that's a really and, good point. And there's a thing that people... It's a trap that a lot of, I feel like... Uh, acoustic guitar youtubers that do like hip-hop covers as like and it's like you're not like you know there's like a love song it's like kind of a generalized thing but it's this guy's like i used to be on a corner and i would sell drugs and i'm and you're just kind of like shut up <laughs> not, to, not to mention the amount of times rappers use their own names in their own songs you know? <laughs> Because I'm the maniac Snoop Doggy Dog. <laughs> I mean, that was the remix, too. They had a second chance to make that, you know, an okay track. I can't even imagine what is the original a, sounds like. Is this like. in the movie? I don't know. Yeah, can't uh, be. This is, yeah. this is uh, just a music supervisor adding on something that he thought would be a good idea. Soundtrack worthy. Soundtrack it's, worthy. It's interesting. The, the majority of this budget uh, went to the soundtrack. Um, and there's a lot of songs that they didn't have the rights to, and we'll, we'll get to, I think one of them that, yeah, uh, there was like also a, story, uh, like a Whitney song. Yeah. He talks but, about Whitney Houston. Or that's the, like, the, uh, they ended up just using like an orchestral arrangement of it, like in the movie. Yes. I had like a Mandela yes. effect type of thing where I had always, it's like a very prominent film where, okay. Okay. There's a couple of things I want to talk about, but yeah. So like when that song is playing, he's talking about the Whitney track and I guess because he's doing a monologue, you don't want to actually hear the song too like high behind him because it would be interfering. Mm-hmm. But my brain always filled it in where I just thought it was the real song. Until right. I think until I had read that they, you know, they lost the rights to the Whitney song and then they they replaced it with just like kind of a music yeah, version. They just couldn't yeah. get it cleared. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of seamless. But uh, okay, so Patrick Bateman. He's a character uh, who he describes himself in detail as a sociopath. Mm-hmm. He's a person that doesn't exist except for just just to, to desire things and to destroy things. That's right. Um, he's a real music fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question to you, and this is something that I don't have an answer to, is when he's describing in detail why he likes certain songs why he likes the whitney song why he likes huey like why he likes phil collins and he goes into depth about phil collins like uh rising in genesis is it a reflection of what we're supposed to think is kind of empty 80s music in that it's the music that he loves because it reflects the society 
that we're supposed to despise or is he like, I recently watched uh, the Charlie Kaufman film. I think I'm thinking about ending things and there's a, a motif about people kind of re- just repeating verbatim things that they've read yeah. as, as like a replacement for a personality. Yeah. Like everybody wants to, you know, be a critic or have their own soapbox and it's kind of like, it, but is he just aping? Is it like in the way that he's, he's imitating human being where it's like, this is what I wear and this is what I, this is the taste that we're supposed to have. I think that's the take. I think there's no real soul or substance to what he's saying. And I think it's, he's literally doing it to impress prostitutes. You know, like Kara Seymour is sitting there and he's like, like rambling about <laughs> Phil Collins. And she's like, cool. <laughs> but <laughs> like, if, what, like, why is he saying, you know, but here's the thing is that like one of the few kind of, um, I would say kind of idiosyncratic character traits that doesn't have to do with him being a murderous psychopath. Is that he is likes that music? He's really, he's always listening to music and he's like listening to Katrina and the waves and like ignoring people. And he's always got his Walkman on and like trying to hide it from people. Like it seems like he really wants to li- So I'm kind of confused. I feel like maybe he really fucking loves <laughs> and it, that somebody's trying to say that like Phil Collins is is like the inner monologue to a fucking murderous psychopath. <laughs> I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I would go over to like a friend's house and, you know, like uh, a friend's dad would say like, Nick, you know, have you ever heard Huey Lewis in the news? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all, all I could think was like, this guy's a creep. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's a, okay. So I know in the book, there's a lot of monologues like that. And I think mm-hmm. that's the way they kind of, use it in the movie is like, okay, he's just like talking to random people in his apartment. He's talking to Chloe Sevigny about, you know, Sevigny, uh, about this and that. It's whatever you want. I, (laughs) I think he's using it to just show like, this is how smart I am. Uh, but, Mm. but you are right that he is like weird flex, but okay. Yeah, sort of. And like, it's psychotic behavior. Somebody, I mean, I've ranted about Phil Collins before um, in front of a lot of people. Yeah. And people are like... Maybe that's what I'm hinting at. (laughs) Yeah. Get a couple too many pots of loudmouth soup and you're just like, no, this is what you don't understand about Phil Collins. Listen. (laughs) Listen to me. And everyone's like, you need to calm down, guys. We're going to kick you out of this part. (laughs) I guess guess the one thing that that maybe makes me think that we're supposed to interpret his tastes as kind of a, 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 a mental illness is that he's constantly kind of obsessed and bragging with the most mainstream musical views. Yeah. Like there's, there's no deep cuts in Patrick Bateman's collection. And it would be like, you know, timing wise, it would be like you saying having those same takes on like Billie Eilish right now. Yeah. To like your contemporary friends and but they'd be like do you have a billy eilish album a lot of a lot of like patrick bateman's even if he's just repeating other people's arguments a lot of his like kind of takes on musical artists it'd be like like chris everybody loves no doubt mm-hmm. great band but you know a lot of gwen stefani's music gets more interesting when she goes solo and more mainstream and you're like I don't think so. <laughs> it's like, no, no, listen to this. Yeah. And he just like starts pumping up like Hollaback no, Girl and you're like, no. what's happening? <laughs> he is this guy's so, a monster. He is so wrong about Peter Gabriel's solo career, by the way. When he talks about like, you know, Peter Gabriel's whatever like lame solo career, I'm like, excuse me, Salisbury Hill. 
How dare you? <laughs> I think sledgehammer. Come on, guys. Yeah. The more I think of it, I, I think that maybe maybe we're being poisoned by our like uh, maybe overly optimistic view of eighties music, because he is like Katrina and the waves and like. The Whitney's song that he picks is like the the one that I remember they used to play in the the dare when I was a kid for you know they would come to the school and try to like tell us that we didn't need drugs we didn't know what drugs were yeah, yeah. thanks like dare the greatest <laughs> now I'm all curious yeah they would play the greatest love of all and like that's yeah, yeah as far as Whitney goes that's probably like <laughs> only a psychopath would pick that as like the Whitney track to yeah. to talk about those uh, dare T-shirts are now a high prize commodity oh yeah yeah crazy. That's the biggest failure of the American government. War on drugs. <laughs> Speaking of that, guys, we're pulling into the last track already. Hey! This is track number 11. This is Huey Lewis in the News with Hip to be Square. Hearing from Huey Lewis in the news, maybe for the uh, first time on track listing. I remember that album Sports was like a mainstay in like every household yeah. as a kid growing up. Every record All dads love Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> it's just like a very palatable, like, yeah, put it on. Very, very well produced. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I, uh, I like Huey Lewis. We I should really say, do. we should say that uh, this is not on the commercially available version of the soundtrack. Correct. It was the the story goes i mean there's conflicting stories the story was that the original uh, well the the reality is the original release of this uh soundtrack included this this, yes uh we don't know if it was at the end of the soundtrack or not but huey lewis uh disputed or pulled the rights and they had to recall a bunch of uh versions of the soundtrack and destroy them like a hundred thousand copies yeah so there's some copies out there with them with the huey lewis so uh, I think the the point of contention was that I think at the time that that happened, the media was reporting that uh, Huey Lewis pulled the track or his people did because he uh, thought the film was too controversial and wasn't mm-hmm. a fan of it. But he said later that uh, none of that is true. And yeah, the, uh, they the, just couldn't get the rights to it. They just it. Like, didn't yeah. pay for the... <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> just like, put it on there. Which is haven't kind seen of, the movie, haven't heard of it, is basically... Yeah. What he, Honestly... Yeah. The the second version is actually maybe the more unbelievable that they would print up a hundred thousand copies of a thing yeah, without having the rights to it and being like, "Well, we'll get the rights later." Yeah. Uh, but anyways, it's there's there seems to be a lot about this film of them trying to trade on the controversy of the book right. and trying to like like the the soundtrack actually says on the cover like that the movie's controversial. It's crazy that like this song isn't on the official release it's yeah. just wild it's the most iconic song in it because yeah. of the uh you know it's when he's murdering paul allen and he's talking about the song um and also i think to back up the claim that he had never heard it and it was you know he had never seen the movie excuse me uh is that huey lewis was in a funnier die video with weird al yankovic 
Yeah, that's right. And he murders Weird Al Yankovic in that in this in like a parody of the Patrick. So he like he liked the movie enough to do like yeah. a parody of it. Let you know? us never forget Weird Al's cover of uh, Huey Lewis's song uh, "I Want a New Duck." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of I need a new drug. Oh I man, need a new duck. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh-huh. Weird Al over under. Uh, you know, I, I've I've said my piece. I think I said it on. You know, people revere him as some sort of god, and I'm like, he had some misses, but uh, hey, yeah. got me through some tough times. <laughs> uh, Eat it. Not a big fan. Love it. Love the food album. Lump. <laughs> We could go on. Uh, <laughs> I was a bigger fan of I think I'm a clone now than than most kids my age. I'll say that. That's I'll say that and I'll leave it. I do want to talk about Willem Dafoe is in this movie. Yes. Uh, he's amazing. Uh, Chloe Sevigny is uh, very good in this movie as well. I think early on, Leonardo DiCaprio was tapped uh, to be Patrick Bateman. Oh yeah, is it, he like oh, let, he so decided young. to go make the beach. He's like, I want to make the beach. Yeah, <laughs> and it was it was gonna be Oliver Stone uh, directing and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. That would have been interesting, dude. We'll save it for another day. But uh, I have become more and more convinced that Oliver Stone is. I think he's terrible. I think think he's he's really bad. Really, really bad. Hot take. I I have tried to watch his movies as of late, and I cannot get there. Like, Natural Born Killers is a bad, bad movie. It's got a good soundtrack, so we're 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 going to do it. We're going to do it. Don't make me. The Doors movie, I remember that being pretty, like... It's uh, really, really bad. Hard to get through. It's all bad. It's all bad. The only... I, Platoon. I think Platoon. 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 Shaka Khan. <laughs> but yeah yeah uh, last thing last thing uh we were talking about lost footage lost media um mm. in tandem with this there was some crazy like promotional stuff with this movie uh one of them was an online stock market game that you could play it was like stock market killer the american psycho and it is now considered lost media because no one's it was like an mm. internet flash game of the American Psycho stock market. I'll have to check the Wayback Machine and see if we can get that up. Can't even find a screenshot, but it's like, yeah, that uh, software is no longer supported, Mm. and it was never in, like, a physical, like, CD Uh, or, like, floppy mm. disk. We'll have to time travel. If anyone has any news on the uh, American Psycho online flash game, let us know. I'll say one last thing before we get to the wrap up. I have a few more things after you. Uh, <laughs> Patrick Bateman's axe is very on brand. And I think that people are still selling that axe to wealthy Manhattanites and Brooklynites. Hmm. It's like the, oh, axe, the axe that cannot be used because it's too beautiful. Oh, God. <laughs> like uh, one of our shiny... friends, I won't say who it is, yeah, I think yeah. was uh, <laughs> looking at getting that. An axe? Oh, I no. think, yeah, I think I know who has that axe. Our, <laughs> oh, our most Patrick Bateman of all friends. <laughs> okay. uh, anyways, time uh, before we get to recommendations. We do have to rate and review. Um, as is our custom, uh, Chris goes first out of, ooh, we didn't say. Oh, how many? Zero to 15. Reservations at Dorsia. Zero to 15. I like that. Reservations at Dorsia. (laughs) How did you get that reservation? Nobody goes there anymore. Um, (laughs) uh, Decimal points allowed. Favorite song, least favorite song. Okay. How Um, do you feel about the soundtrack? You know, I'm I'm a bit. um, I love this movie. I I know it's a controversial movie. I was was revisiting this film thinking I was going to not like it because I thought it was going to be misogynistic and, you know, like a little like 
glorifying violence and stuff like that. But I, I still liked it. Um, and I thought the, the satire held up pretty darn well for something that's 21 years old, you know, as far as the soundtrack goes, this release kind of sucks compared to what's in the movie. Uh, we're missing a lot of songs. We're missing Phil Collins. We're missing Whitney Houston. We're missing Walking on Sunshine. Walking on Sunshine. Lady in Red. Is I not Touch in Roses there. by Book of Love is uh, underrated. So, Book of Love is great, by yeah. the way. Check out Book of Love. They've got some awesome '80s jams. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't ever listened to them, that's something that we've noticed a lot in the soundtracks that we've reviewed. Is that mm-hmm. you know getting the rights is like you know the battle, mm-hmm. and you know what would ostensibly be a much better soundtrack uh you know they just can't make happen yeah i don't i it's the game sometimes uh, that's i feel like 80 percent of the time that's the case but it seems like if you if you can get a cure song the rights to a cure song but you can't get a book of love song that seems like it's a decision weird i don't think it's a money thing i think that's a music supervision but i don't know you know when when rights get away from the bands and there's a, they're in some sort of label collection, who knows? Yeah, but uh, zero to fifteen, Dorcia reservations. Best best song, least F- favorite song. Favorite song, far and away, New Order, True Faith. Uh, I love that song. It's definitely mm. high on my rotation. Um, Great I th- song. I think the Racket uh, remix <laughs> to Paid in Full. Come this- on, man. <laughs> I think no love for industrial say. rap rock. No, what? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> stop asking me that. <laughs> Never. Um, I think overall, I'm going to give this a 6.7. I think it really suffers from it. Everything on here is a remix and not what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And if you were buying the soundtrack to American Psycho, I would expect to hear half of the songs I hear saw in the movie, and you don't get that. So, yeah. 6.7. Sorry. <laughs> All right. All right. Nikki, how do you feel about the soundtrack? Zero to 15. Uh, soundtrack is kind of a mixed bag. There's uh, some great songs on here, like uh, Chris mentioned, New Order. I think uh, my favorite track is going to be Eric B. and Rakim, Paid in Full. And uh, it's kind of nice to go back and start revisiting their music, which uh definitely recommend. And least favorite song, I've got to say is uh the racket the paid, no. paid in full remix i got what? man it's just uh, it's Come so on. many things that i can't get on board with <laughs> all in the, one uh, terrible bullshit sandwich the yin and yang <laughs> of paid in full man pretty wild stuff um, it's the best of times and it's the worst of times i mean then you've got the uh <laughs> the dialogue bits that we uh kind of glossed over which I don't necessarily think are going to help the soundtrack get any points. So I'm going to give this a 4.0 Dorcia's. 4.0. I do want to try Dorcia though. It sounds like they've got a nice seasonal uh, menu. I can get gin. Okay. I can get gin. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) Caleb, 0 to 15. 0 to 15. I think I might like the soundtrack a little bit better than you guys. Uh, True Faith is a great New Order song. Um... Uh, it's a Tom Tom Club. That's bad. Uh, Information Society. That's like a, a great song. And it's also a great song that I kind of periodically forget about, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's the thing that's an, one of the nice things about doing this podcast. And, and one of a little bit maybe of a rare thing is that I'll be reminded of a song that I already knew that I liked and forgot about. And that's like a, even though it's like a little, it's not, I wouldn't even say a dodgy remix, but it's unnecessary remix. I'm like, that's, that's a fucking jam. 
uh, pump up the volume. Oh man, I, that's it. Maybe it has to do with uh, how young I was when I first heard that, but that song is like lodged in my brain. Um, love it. I think my favorite track is "Paid in Full," the Cold Cut remix. Uh, yeah, man. Eric being rock him, and uh, <laughs> and the remix by the Racket is the worst. I like that they just say remix. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even try. No creative remix naming. That's half the fun. Farting out a remix. What a turd. Yeah. Uh, I'll give this an 8.5 reservations at Dorsia. All right. Okay. Um, before we leave, we do have to add a track to the track listing Spotify playlist. One of our favorite Psycho Killer songs. Caleb, you got a pick for us. I do have a pick for you guys. Uh, my song is from 2016, although... It's very much a throwback sound. It's got a heavy kind of post-punk, um, I would say, you know, heavily influenced by maybe ESG, maybe Early Wire. Um, it's a very short song. I think it clocks in at a minute and 23 seconds. Uh, Whoa. The band is Sneaks um, out of, uh, I think, Silver Spring, Maryland. The track is called True Killer. Let's hear a little bit of that. true killer it's a song i like quite a bit and uh you know the lyrics describing somebody like staring in the mirror seems very apt that's, uh, that's the sneaks i think it's, it's i just, don't know if it's a solo uh act for the most part i think she just goes by sneaks i feel like there's a song that i know by them is it um ah like what do they look like it uh, look like that yeah yeah they have a, a pretty creepy song. <laughs> if it's a solo act, she's just uh, kind of horrifying with a lot of her lyrics. Yeah, uh, "Look Like That" is a song I've heard by Sneaks, but um, yeah, cool, fun song. That's a great song. All right, uh, Chris, do you have a pick for us? Yeah, I got a song uh, from 2015 uh, off of an album called "I Want to Grow Up." Um, it's by somebody that I, I I thought I had recommended a song by her before. Uh, but I looked back through our playlist and, and I hadn't. Uh, Colleen Green, um, she's de- some people seem to know her, some people don't. But she's got a uh, a pretty disturbing song called "Deeper Than Love," and uh, I hope you guys oh, I took the excerpt. <laughs> just take a listen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear a little bit of that. Yeah, it's about um, hoping somebody murders you because it's deeper than love. And uh, the um, 
you know, to get murdered is the, it's the deepest emotion you have. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was listening to that and I was like, what is, and I think that's like, you know, this is by far and away her most popular song and she's got some great songs out there, but this has like, you know, millions of streams or whatever the hell. And it, it falls into that thing of like, all right, well, let's not glorify shit like this. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, like the, it, it's a classic like uh, internet kink overshare. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, I kind of like it when somebody is like a little mean to me and then like, but they really like, it's like, oh, you know what I like? <laughs> yes. uh, what? God, I wish someone would just murder me. You're like, yeah, yeah. I wish they would just like really go to town on you. I was like, no, no. <laughs> I wish somebody would like murder me, yeah. like extinguish my life. Think about it. It's the most <laughs> emotion anyone can share with anybody else. <laughs> it's like, I don't, like, maybe a poem. If somebody wrote a poem for you. It's like, no, mm-mm. murder you. Uh, and if you like search, like tons of people like lyrics, lyrics for deeper than love. Uh, which is like, I was like, oh man, I hope everyone's doing okay out there. Check in with your fam, uh, check in with everybody. Mental health is, uh, you know, let's. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> but uh, Co- Colleen Green is, is brilliant. Uh, please check her out. She yeah, came like through Fort Worth um, years ago, and that's how I got turned on her music. But I own that album. It's great. All right, I've got a song for us. This is from 1975. Ooh. This is from the album A Night at the Opera. By the band Queen, this is the song Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> All right, play the full, play the full version. Full version, <laughs> playing now. Mama just killed a man, put a gun against his head, pulled my trigger, now he's dead. Mama, life it just. song little band queen Um, queen Queen has said that uh you know it's about a young man who is uh accidentally killed someone and like faust uh sold his soul to the devil and uh, i've always just wanted to get this song on the spotify track listing playlist never play that on the radio (laughs) (laughs) eight minute song but uh maybe one of the best songs ever recorded yeah it's like certainly up there about some party monster kid you know killed somebody (laughs) and sold his soul (laughs) i think there was some story about when freddie mercury was writing that in his uh in his flat where he was living at the time he had a piano set up behind uh you know the back of his bed and he would lay down and like play with his arms over the back of his yeah. head when he wrote that melody. He was too lazy to get up. He's just fucking lazy, man. <laughs> lazy guy. But yeah, he, he did that on uh, on tour too. He would like play oh, underneath yeah. the piano to show off. So I guess he had a lot of practice. I still haven't seen that uh, Rami Malek uh, Queen movie, uh, but maybe I'll watch that. I don't know. Did you guys see it? Yeah. yeah How was that. it? Surprisingly enjoyable. Yeah, they like recreated um, the Live Aid concert. Like down those, to those parts, those parts were great. I saw the last thirty minutes, unfortunately, and it was That's, all that. And I was like, "That was cool." Those well, parts, Chris, are, you were at Live Aid. How does it compare? Um, I was way in the back. It, it rained a bit in the morning, in the, and then uh, kind of cleared up in the afternoon. 
There was uh, nothing else that happened? The weirdest thing what? about that Queen movie <laughs> is that Rami Malek, you know, he won the Oscar, but another person did the vocals for the singing and mm-hmm. they, they like subbed it in. So yeah. like, where's his award? Yeah. Well, yeah. We're, hey, I we're, just we're want, talking about Jim Morrison, anyway. like Val Kilmer, like yeah, there's a lot of people that do their own singing like, yeah. and there's like, really, it's like, you know, uh, Joaquin Phoenix and, you know, Reese Witherspoon, we were talking about yeah, Reese, in Reese, this film. In the movie, Reese Witherspoon yeah. in like uh, Walk the Line did her own singing. And it's like, I think everybody thought that like George really Clooney sang his own vocals in uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which he did not, mm-hmm. which bums out a lot of people. Some people refuse to believe. <laughs> I, I ardently defended Tiger King thinking that he <laughs> sang his own. <laughs> and he didn't. And it like, it really broke my heart. I was like, pick your battles, Chris. Like, <laughs> pick your battles. <laughs> We should say for the listeners that we're recording this in, uh, what, what is it? It's, it's May 2019? <laughs> yeah. <that's right. laughs> or I can't even remember when Tiger King came out. <laughs> it's a pandemic thing. It was the uh, beginning of 2020. All right, there you go. All right, guys, that is the American Psycho soundtrack. Thank hey. you, Chris. Yeah, buddy. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in, listeners. Do we have a uh, do we have a pick for next week? Who's I think it's Caleb's pick. It's my pick, and I have. Uh, it's related to this movie. There's a little bit of a tie-in. Patrick Bateman's impeccable apartment, which I think holds up. Uh, it does not look very 80s, but some of the artwork in it is pretty 80s. There's some uh, very Way Miz. very distinctive. Oh boy, <laughs> Robert Longo. Uh, I guess they're not paintings. I think they're drawings or charcoal drawings of uh, like the 80s guys flinching. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Longo, you might not know, he directed a film starring Ooh. Keanu Reeves. So maybe jump on that Google and figure it out. It's a bad one. I know <laughs> what it is. Uh, but that's Ralphie. That's, that's my tease. <laughs> I'm going to get you, Ralphie. <laughs> what is he saying? <laughs> that's my tease for next episode. All right, thanks everyone for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Stay safe. We love you. Bye. Bye.